The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Andrew Rosindell. Question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Andrew Rosindell. Mr Speaker, the British people want to see two things from this week's European summit. Firstly, a resolute and uncompromising defence of Britain's national interests, and secondly, an end to the disastrous Euro crisis, a currency the party opposite still wants us to join. Will the Prime Minister do Britain proud on Friday and show some bulldog spirit in Brussels? I can guarantee to my honourable friend that that is exactly what I will do. The British national interest absolutely means that we need to help resolve this crisis in the Eurozone. It is freezing the British economy just as it is a freezing economies right across Europe. So resolving this crisis is about jobs and growth and business and investment right here in the UK. At the same time, we must seek safeguards for Britain. That is the right thing to do. And I can absolutely guarantee, as long as I'm here, there's absolutely no prospect of joining the Euro, something that the Right Honourable Gentleman opposite takes a different view about. Mr Speaker, six weeks ago the Prime Minister said, and I quote, the idea of some limited treaty change in the future might give us the opportunity to repatriate powers back to Britain. At the European summit, what powers will he be arguing to repatriate? As I've just explained, at the summit, let me explain. We're all interested to hear the answer. Let's hear it. The Prime Minister. We will have the key aim of helping to resolve the Eurozone crisis, and we believe that means European Eurozone countries coming together and doing more things together. If they choose to do that through a treaty at 27 that we are involved in, we will insist on some safeguards for Britain. And yes, that means making sure we are stronger and better able to do things in the UK to to protect our own national interests. Now, let me explain. Obviously, the more that countries in the Eurozone ask for, the more we will ask for in return. But we will judge that on the basis of what matters most to Britain. The more he talked, Mr Speaker, the more confusing his position was, quite quite frankly. Let me remind him, let me remind him, on the eve of the biggest post-war rebellion against a Prime Minister on Europe, he was telling his backbenchers, he was telling his backbenchers that the opportunity of treaty change would mean in the future the repatriation of powers. That was his position of six weeks ago. Today he writes an article in the Times, a thousand-word article, not one mention of the phrase repatriation of powers. Why does the Prime Minister think it's in the national interest to tell his backbenchers one thing to quell a rebellion on Europe and tell his European partners another? I don't resolve for a single word I said in that debate. Yes, 
What we want to do, specifically and particularly in the area of financial services, where this country has a massive national interest. Let me remind him, it is 10% of GDP, it is 3% of our trade surplus, it's 7% of UK employment. I want to make sure we have more power and control here in the UK to determine these things. And that is in complete contrast to the party opposite that gave away power after power. They gave up our power and they met us, made us join the bailout fund. We've had to get out of the bailout fund. They gave up our rebate and got nothing in return. We've managed to freeze the European budget. You've got one party, one government that defends Britain's interests and another that always surrenders it. Mr Speaker, I think the short answer is... Order. I say to the usual, predictable, noisy tendency what I said to the other side a moment ago, people must be heard. That's what will happen, however long it takes. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, I think the short answer is that six weeks ago he was promising his backbenchers a handbagging for Europe. Now he's just reduced to hand-wringing. That is the reality of this Prime Minister. And the, pro- and the problem for Britain, and the problem for Britain, is that at the most important European summit for a generation that matters hugely for families and businesses up and down the country, the Prime Minister is simply left on the sidelines. And it isn't the truth that we have a Prime Minister caught between his promises in opposition and the reality of government. That is why Britain is losing out in Europe. I'm afraid even the best scripted joke on handbags isn't going to save his leadership. (laughs) He talks. He talks. He talks about being isolated. Let me just just explain to him where we would be if we adopted Labour's policy. If we adopted your spending and your deficit policies, and if we were in the euro... What we would find is I wouldn't be going to Brussels to fight for Britain. I'd be going to Brussels to get a bailout. Under under the proposals proposals being put forward, Labour would put Britain in such a bad position that the tax changes wouldn't be written by the shadow chancellor. They'd be written by the German chancellor. Mr. Mr. Andrew Tyree. There is a wide spectrum of views on Europe throughout this House, (laughs) and one can sense it from the uh, responses even to that remark. Will the Prime Minister take the straightforward message with him to the European Council that the one thing most likely to unite the House of Commons would be the perception of a calculated assault from Brussels, not even in their interests? on the well-being of the UK financial services industry and on the 1.3 million people in all our constituencies who work in it. The the Honourable Gentleman is entirely right. Of course, we want to see a greater rebalancing of our economy and we want to see more jobs in manufacturing and aerospace and in technology, but the economy that we inherited is very dependent on financial services and I do think we should at least celebrate the fact that it is a world-class industry, a world-class industry not just for Britain, 
but actually for Europe. But it's absolutely vital that we safeguard it. We do see it under continued regulatory attack uh, from Brussels. And I think there is an opportunity, particularly if there's a treaty at 27, to ensure some safeguards, not just for that industry, but actually to give us greater power and control in terms of regulation here in this House of Commons. And I think that is in the interest of the entire country and something I'll be fighting for on Friday. Margaret Ritchie. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree that the recent escalation of industrial action in the public sector, which incidentally in my part of the world was not a damp squib, is a result of genuine anger about the sheer unfairness of government action to deal with pension contributions, an unfair action which is making people on low and middle incomes pay for the horrendous mistakes at the top. I'm afraid I think the Honourable Lady is just plain wrong because the lowest paid workers are not being asked to contribute more to their pensions. And and in terms of fairness, in terms of fairness, let me just make this point. Under what we're offering, a primary school teacher earning £32,000 a year could receive a pension worth £20,000 a year. Now, a private sector worker, remember the people who are putting their money into these pensions, a private sector worker would have to pay 38 percent of their salary almost half of their salary to get an equivalent pension. Now, of course, there's an issue of fairness here. We must play fair by public sector workers, but we also must be fair to the private sector who are putting their money into these pensions. Steve Baker. Mr Speaker, does my right honourable friend agree with me that it's time for this country to lead Europe into the hope and potential of a new post-bureaucratic age? I do think there are opportunities for Britain in Europe. I think we should start from the premise that it is in Britain's interest to be in the single market. We are a trading nation. We need those markets open. We need to be able to determine the rules of those markets. But as Europe changes, yes, of course, there are opportunities. But the first priority at the end of this week must be to make sure that the Eurozone crisis that is having such a bad effect on our economy is resolved. But at the same time, we should be very clear about the British national interest, safeguarding the single market, safeguarding financial services, looking out for the interests of UK PLC. Mark Tammy. Can the Prime Minister tell us if he'll be having his usual Christmas bash with uh, Rebecca Brooks and Jeremy Clarkson? Uh, If so, so, will they be uh, talking about just how out of touch they all are with British public opinion? I... uh, I seem to remember the annual sleepover was with the, uh, with the former Labour Prime Minister. But, uh, so now I'll be having a quiet family Christmas. <laughs> Mark Pritchard. Prime Minister, my full support as he promises to stand up for the British national interest at the EU summit on Friday. But is it not the case that bailout after bailout of the Eurozone will not save Europe or indeed the Eurozone, but making Europe more competitive, reducing its high unit costs and cutting regulation and red tape on business? I think the Honourable Gentleman is entirely right. I can quite understand 
why leading members of the Eurozone, like for instance the Germans, want to see tougher fiscal rules about budget deficits for Eurozone members. But I think it's absolutely right to point out that the heart of the crisis is actually caused by current account deficits in some countries and large current account surpluses in others. And unless we solve the competitiveness problem at the heart of the Euro crisis, this crisis will keep recurring. So our argument has been throughout. Yes, you need tough rules on budget deficits. Yes, you need to have the institutions of the Euro, including the European Central Bank, acting in concert and acting strongly. But you've got to resolve the competitiveness problem at the heart of the single currency in order to deal with this crisis. And I'll continue to make those points on Thursday and Friday. And Mr Speaker, can the Prime Minister confirm that next year, according to the Institute of Fiscal Studies, as a result of his economic policy, the poorest third of families will lose three times as much as the richest third? No, his figures are wrong. If you take take all the things that the government has done, which is the right way to measure this, what you find is that the top 10% see losses nearly 10 times greater than the bottom 10%. And I believe that is fair. And I believe a point that hasn't been properly understood but is important is if you take the richest 10% in our country, they not only see the biggest reduction in their income in cash terms, they also see the biggest reduction of their income proportionately. So we are being fair. It's incredibly difficult to deal with the debts and the deficit that the Honourable Gentleman and his party left behind, but we're determined to do it in a way that's fair. Mr Speaker, he's simply wrong again. The figures are there. The figures are there. The figures are there, and the poorest third are losing far more than the richest third. And, of course, he used to say, I'm not going to balance the budget on the backs of the poor. He's not balancing the budget. No, he's right. He's not balancing the budget, Mr Speaker. £158 billion more borrowing. But 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 he is hitting the poor. Mr Speaker, but there is one group to give him credit that he is making, he's easing the pain for. And I don't think, Mr Speaker, this has got the publicity it deserves. He's delaying for a year the tax on the private jets, Mr Speaker, at the same time as hitting the poorest families in this country. Now, now can he confirm, can he confirm that a working mother earning £300 a week is seeing VAT going up, her tax credits cut, child benefit frozen and her maternity grant cut. He had 13 years to tax private jets. We would have... And now former Labour leaders are jetting around in them. We will have taxed them in two years. He quotes the Institute for Fiscal Studies. Let me remind him what the Institute for Fiscal Studies said about Labour's plan specifically. Labour's policies would lead to, and I quote, even higher debt levels over this Parliament. They don't, I know, Mr. Speaker, they don't like to hear it when their own policies are taken apart. Calm down. They don't like to hear it. What I simply say to everybody is I want to get down the order paper. If the Prime Minister wants to give a brief answer, let it be brief. Let's hear it. And let me just explain what the IFS said. His plans imply even higher debt levels over this Parliament than those we will in fact see. That is the truth of it. If you want the stimulus we're giving the economy by low interest rates, you have to stick to the plans we've set out. There is not a party in Europe, apart from the Moldovan communists, that back his party's plans. Mr. 
as we can have heard everything he's talking about a stimulus. He doesn't understand. He's cutting too far and too fast. And that's why we've got problems in our economy. But of course, he doesn't want to tell us what the IFS say about his plans. He's the Prime Minister, after all, Mr. Speaker. The new tax, the new tax and benefit measures. The new tax and benefit measures are, on average, a takeaway from lower-income families with children. The figures speak for themselves. His changes are hitting women twice as hard as men. Isn't the truth that he's the first Prime Minister in modern times to say it's the women and children first? I have to say, his sound bites get weaker and weaker as his leadership gets weaker and weaker. That is the truth of it. If you look at what we have done, lifting 1.1 million people out of tax, that is mostly women that benefit. If you look at the increase in the pension, £5.35 starting next April, that will benefit mostly women. If you take the issue of public sector pensions, where we're helping the lowest paid in the public sector, that will help women. Yes, we are giving the economy a stimulus by keeping our interest rates low. We have interest rates at 2% while they're at 5% in Italy, 5% in Spain, 30% in Greece. If we followed his advice, we'd have interest rates rocketing, businesses going bust, more people out of work. That is what Labour offer, and that's why they will never be trusted while they're our economy again. Mr Thurso. Can I tell the Prime Minister that small and medium enterprises in my constituency are still having grave difficulty accessing reasonable finance? A major contributor to that is lack of competition. Will the government consider breaking up the nationalised banks in order to be able to create more competition on the high street? Well, I do think we have opportunities to increase the competition on the high street, and obviously as we look to return the state banks back into the private sector, we will have further opportunities. We've already managed to take one important step forward, which is of course to get Northern Rock back out there, lending to businesses and to households properly established in the northeast of England. What a closed question. Jeremy Corbyn, not here. Mr. John Barron, Speaker, our history at repat- our history at repatriating powers back from the EU is not a happy one. May I therefore suggest a fundamental renego- renegotiation of our relationship with the EU, based on free trade, growth, and competitiveness, which other countries enjoy, and not political union and deadweight regulation. This EU summit is a defining moment. Once in a lifetime opportunity, will the Prime Minister seize the moment? I'm a little bit more optimistic than the Honourable Gentleman. Actually, the bailout power that the last government gave away, we are returning to the United Kingdom via the ESM Treaty. So we have returned a power. And recently, we've just won exemption from all EU legislation to make sure that from January 2012, micro-enterprises will not face any new EU regulation at all. But in answer to the question, are we going to go in there and fight for British interests on Thursday and Friday? Yes, absolutely we will. But let's be clear, there's the option of a treaty at 27 where we have the ability to say yes or no and as a result get a price for that. But there is always the possibility that the Eurozone members at 17 will go ahead and form a treaty of their own. Now again, we have some uh, leverage in that situation because they need the use of EU institutions. But we should recognise exactly what our leverage is and make the most of it. Prime Minister, Mr Pat McFadden. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 
Last year, the Prime Minister's manifesto promised to repatriate legal rights, criminal justice and employment and social legislation. His article in The Times this morning is silent on all these issues and the Justice Secretary has said this agenda is not realistic anyway. Does the Prime Minister regret leading his party up the garden path and forcing himself into a choice between ditching his manifesto or potentially vetoing a treaty that may be essential to avoid huge damage to the UK economy? I regret is that the party opposite gave away so many powers, it's going to take a while to get some of them back. But we're making progress. When he was in government, when he was in government, there were repeated increases in the EU budget. This year we've achieved an EU budget freeze. When he was in government, he gave away the bailout power and we had to pour billions of pounds into other countries. We've got that power back. And I believe with strong negotiation, standing up for Britain, we can help clear up the mess that Labour left us. Andrew Percy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over the last decade and a half, there's been an explosion of personal debt levels in this country, yet we allow our young people to leave school without the proper skills to make informed decisions. Next week, the All-Party Parliamentary Group on Financial Education in Schools will report on, uh, the, uh, on where we feel this can fit in the curriculum. Will the Prime Minister read that report and meet with a small group of MPs to discuss how we can ensure young people are more financially literate in the future? I'm very happy to meet with my honourable friend who knows a great deal about this, having himself been a supply teacher for, for many years in the constituency that he now uh, rep represents. And a, uh, sorry, and a permanent teacher as well. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm happy to meet. Financial education is important for our young people, and I look forward to seeing his all-party report. Lillian Greenwood. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister once said that he wanted to lead the most family-friendly government ever. Isn't it a disgrace that of nine, over nearly £19 billion worth of cuts his government have announced so far, over £13 billion have fallen on women? Yeah. Yeah. But, what I'd say to the Honourable Lady, it was this government that introduced 15 hours of free nursery care for three-year-olds and four-year-olds, something that the Labour Party never managed to do in government. And in spite of the appalling mess that we were left, in this autumn statement, we put in an extra £380 million to double the number of disadvantaged two-year-olds whose parents will get free nursery care. That is real progress, real help for families, something they never delivered. Yeah. Ian Swales. Thank you, Mr Speaker. What would the Prime Minister say to a council like Redcar and Cleveland who are considering rejecting... Rejecting government funding for a council tax freeze next year and instead charging my hard pressed constituents three and a half percent more. Well, I, I, will, I very much hope that all councils will take up the offer of a council tax freeze because, in this year of all years where people do face uh, economic hardship, it's important we help where we can. Does the Prime Minister agree with me? That in exchange for us supporting the Euro countries in dealing with their crisis, we should be seeking changes in the laws on immigration, employment and fishing rights in order to support our economy. What I would say to the Honourable Gentleman is, as I've said, if they choose a treaty at 27, that treaty requires our consent. And so we should therefore 
think of what are the things most in our national interest, and I've talked about keeping the single market open, I've talked about the importance of financial services, but clearly the more that Eurozone countries want to do in a treaty of 27, the more changes they want to make, the greater ability we have to ask for, ask for sensible things that make sense for Britain. I'm very keen that we exercise the leverage that we have to do a good deal for Britain, and that's exactly what I'll be doing in Brussels this Thursday and Friday. Hey, games. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister promised I'll cut the deficit, not the NHS. Why is his government closing the accident, emergency and maternity services at King George Hospital, Ilford? Cutting frontline NHS staff, borrowing 158 billion extra. Shouldn't he have said, I'll cut the NHS, not the deficit? Yeah. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is just wrong because the deficit is coming down and the NHS spending is going up throughout this Parliament. And I note that his own health spokesman says that it is irresponsible to increase spending on the NHS. We don't think it is irresponsible, we think it is the right thing to do. As he knows, the Health Secretary has set out the criteria for all local changes, including in his constituency. There has to be proper public and patient engagement. There has to be sound clinical evidence. There has to be support from GP commissioners. And there has to be proper support for patient choice. Andrea Leadsom. The Prime Minister has taken a strong interest in the incredible work of the Oxford Parent-Infant Project in helping families who are struggling to form a strong attachment with their babies. Two months ago I started a new sister charity in Northamptonshire and with the Prime Minister's interest in strengthening families, will he commit to looking again at the incredible work that can be done in early intervention that saves a fortune in the criminal and care services later on? I think the Honourable Lady is entirely right and I know about the Oxpip project that she speaks about and I'm delighted that she's now expanding it into her own constituency. All the evidence shows that the more we can do to help children and their parents between the age of naught and two, that is the absolutely key time when so much disadvantage can set in that can have such a bad impact later on in life. That's why I think her work and indeed the, the, the work of members across this House in prioritising early intervention is so important for our country. Bill Esterson. The Prime Minister was asked by his constituent Philip Hall to cut VAT on home repairs and improvements. Mr Hall runs his own construction company. Cutting VAT on home improvements has the support of over 50 business organisations, including the Federation of Small Businesses. Will he support that cut in VAT, which would help jobs, growth and business? Well, the, the, the problem the Honourable Gentleman has is they've got a huge long list of extra spending and extra tax cuts that they want. And as we've heard today at question time again, they oppose every single spending reduction that we're making. They impose every single fundamental reform to get better value for money. So you can only conclude that, that spending would go up, that borrowing would rocket, that interest rates would increase, and the economy would be left in very, very dire straits. Dr Julian Lewis. Why is my right honourable friend supporting a policy of fiscal unification for the Eurozone states, which, if it happens, will undoubtedly lead to the creation of a dangerously undemocratic single government for those countries? It's not. 
the, the point I make to my honourable friend is this. Now, I don't want Britain to join the euro. I think Britain is better off outside the euro. Those countries though, that have chosen to join the euro, they've got to make that system work. And in order to do that, they don't just need uh, stronger fiscal rules, which I think is clear. They need to have greater competitiveness. Now, it's for them to decide how to go ahead and do those things. What we should do is maintain Britain's position outside the euro and make sure we safeguard our interests at the same time. That's exactly what I'll be doing in Brussels. Alan Michael. Thank you, Mr Speaker. 10,000 service personnel will have heard of their real terms cut in pay while serving on the front line in Afghanistan. What does the Prime Minister think that disgraceful cut is going to do for morale for those who are risking their lives for us? Well, what we have done is doubled the operational allowance that people in Afghanistan receive, and they are, frankly, extremely brave people, and we, we should be doing right by them, and that's why we doubled that allowance, and we've also increased the council tax disregard. We've made sure that the pupil premium is not just available to children on free school meals, but is available to all service children. And we have put the military covenant into the law of our land, and we will go on defending, promoting and protecting our brilliant armed services personnel and their families. Mark Lancaster. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Nunswood Wind Farm application spans three local authorities, each of whom independently assessed it against their local plans and rejected it. Subsequently, a distant, unelected planning inspector overruled them and even moved forward his decision by three months so it could be made the day before the localism bill got royal assent. The Prime Minister will understand my constituents' anger. Can he simply look into what appears to be a blatant slap in the face for localism? My my honourable friend does make an important point, and as he knows, as a result of the changes we are making, it will not be possible in future to overrule such decisions so as to meet a regional target, because we've now got rid of those regional targets. We're giving much more authority and many more decision-making powers to those local bodies. Our planning reforms will ensure that local people and their councils decide what it is that people need and how we meet that need. Nigel Dodds. Speaker, is the Prime Minister worried that the scandal of mis-selling in this country has just got a lot worse? Given the previous broken guarantees to the public, the Prime Minister is now rejecting a vote on these latest European changes. He has mis-sold the issue to the public at large. Will the Prime Minister uh, give a guarantee to this House that there will be the opportunity for the British people to deliver its verdict on the changes that are happening in Europe? What what this government has given is something that no previous government has done in this country, which is we passed a law that means that if ever this government or any future government or any future House of Commons tries to pass powers from Westminster to Brussels, it has to ask the British people in a referendum first. That would have meant there would have had to have been a referendum on Lisbon or on Amsterdam or on Nice or on those other treaties. So the fact that people feel so betrayed by what happened under the last government, that cannot happen again. Fiona Bruce. Small and medium-sized enterprises are the engine of the economy in my constituency and will play a very important part in our economic recovery. Will the Prime Minister acknowledge that a key factor in achieving growth, as well as resolving the Eurozone crisis, is to take action in Britain's interest to tackle and reduce the huge regulatory burdens on small companies, so many of which come from Europe?
I think the Honourable Lady makes an important point. We've got to start here, as it were, in our own backyard and stop the gold plating and the over-regulation that's happened in the past. That's why we have the red tape challenge with every rule being put up on the internet so people can show how little we need to keep. That's why we've got the one-in-one-out rule that applies to every single minister. They can't introduce a regulation without getting rid of a regulation. But we have just achieved in Europe a major breakthrough that micro-businesses employing less than 10 people will not be subject to European regulation from 2012 onwards. That is a big breakthrough, something that hasn't happened before in Europe and shows that if you make the arguments for growth, for jobs, for enterprise, you can win them. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister today has refused to accept that women and children will bear the brunt of his failed economic policy. No wonder he continues to turn off women. Will he accept the Treasury's own figures that 100,000 more children will be living in poverty as a result of his policy? What I would say to the Honourable Lady is how on earth does it advantage women and children to pile them up with debt after debt after debt that they then have to pay back? Mr Speaker, we have been standing here for 33 minutes. All we've heard is proposals for tax reductions, for spending increases, for reforms they wouldn't go ahead of, for scrapping the changes to public sector pensions. They would take those women and children that we are concerned about, pile them high with debt and let them live under that burden for the rest of their days. Sir Peter Tapsell. May I hark back a month to the 7th of November when I put three suggestions to my right honourable friend for containing the Euro crisis, with which he appeared to agree, but none of them, as he will have noticed, have been acted upon by the European Central Bank. So may I now express to him my belief that the alternative policy of uh, a fiscal union will, as my honourable friend, the member for New Forest, has already just said, pose a great threat to the whole of the liberty of Europe. Can the, uh, can the, because it would inevitably make Germany still more dominant. Can the Germans be persuaded to study the reason for the Boston Tea Party? Uh, because, because no taxation without representation is the bastion of freedom. question. We now want to hear the Prime Minister's answer. As ever, the Leader of the House speaks with great knowledge and wisdom and and foresight. What I would say to him is, the reason reason that he and I don't want to join the single currency is that we would not be prepared to put up 
with the supranational power of being told what our debt and our deficit and everything else is. That's why we don't want to join. The point I would simply make is if the countries of the Eurozone want to make their system work, then it's clear to me fiscal rules are one thing that they may need, but that won't be enough without proper competitiveness and the third point that he made, the full-hearted uh, intervention and support of the institutions of the Eurozone, including the European Central Bank. But it is a decision that those Eurozone countries have to make themselves. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.